welcome to Story Conversations. My name is Simon Arrowsmith and with me as always is... Susan Griffin. Hi, Susan. Hello, Simon. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward yeah. to our conversation. So who have we got today? Well, today, uh, it's very exciting. We have Jane Dubin, mm-hmm. who um, is a theatre producer. Now, theatre producing may be a little inscrutable to some of our audience members. What does a theatre producer actually do? do and jane will share with us what yep. what that's all about jane has been a very successful producer on broadway off broadway um in regional companies in the west end in london she's on the board of a number of nonprofits, including a theater company called the house of the moon um and she is very Joyful and passionate mm. about the work that she does and, and inspiring, therefore, well, hopefully inspiring to our audience. Yeah, so absolutely. let's get to it. Yeah, here we go. Jane, welcome uh, to Story Conversations. Thanks for, for coming. Uh, we uh, like It's great. Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Excellent. Well, we like to start all our conversations by hearing a little bit of our guest's origin story. So, you know, you're a Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, you're a board member, thought leader, and a business advisor to many theatres and non-profit organisations, but you started life as a mathematician, is that right? And you worked for many years in financial services and investment management. I mean, how did your love of story come up? Where did it all start? Wow, whose resume is that? Um... (laughs) (laughs) Simon, that's that's an interesting question, and I've thought about that, and it's it's a little bit like asking, when did you figure out you needed to breathe? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were never really taught that, but if, if I had to answer it, I guess I spent a lot of my, um, a lot of my time with my parents. My father was a great storyteller, and he was the kind of storyteller that, you know, you had to listen. He, he demanded that you stop and listen and it's a it's it's a very interesting setup and as I went through and got a little bit older just listening to other people's stories you learn you learn so much I mean I have uh you can't see on my whiteboard I have a big uh it says listen in big bold colors um because when you're if you're talking, then you're not learning. And that's, I guess that's the whole idea is like stories, stories teach us so much about the world, about other people, and they start conversations. Mm. Um, and I guess that's, you know, when you, when you hear other people's stories, it, it sort of brings us a little bit closer together and uh, no time like the present um, for, for showing how important that is. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and I guess in your financial services life, were you listening for stories? Were you telling stories? Were you, you know? Oh, interesting question. I feel like all of the things that I've done in my life have brought me here. And one of the things that I did, uh, one of the parts of my financial story, in my financial services, I mean, part of it was analyst, sort of like, I think that's the left left brain 
<laughs> and part of it was storyteller, right brain. But eventually my last real job, um, like nine to five job, was as a, uh, an asset gatherer, a marketer for a, f- a financial services firm. So I, I was the one that went out and, and, and told the story of our company about why, uh, why you as a corporation, a pension fund, um, um, an individual um, would, would want to work with us as a company, why you would want to trust us uh, to manage your money, you know, the important parts of your life. Um, and that meant first figuring out what the story was, figuring mm. out what our, you know, what our value added or competitive advantage or, or whatever the, you know, you guys are the marketers, whatever that term is, um, you know, that, that, that you figure out that says we stand alone as far as you're concerned. And so, it was very much a storytelling. And then, I mean, as, as you as you work with companies and such, you always know that when you're in a position of responsibility, you know, that's a story in itself. You have to you have to be able to talk to others about what you've accomplished or what you haven't accomplished and why and tell that story um, within your organization. Um, yeah. Consultants, consultants are the best of that. I've done some consulting as well. And uh, you have to figure out, you know, Whose version is the right version, and how you <laughs> how you um, how you properly convey what's going on um, without upsetting too many people in the process. <laughs> um, so right. while you know while on on paper um, I am you know I am a math nerd. I I fully embrace that uh, that aspect of myself. I, I'm not afraid of numbers. I love numbers. There's lots of things you can do with them. Um, but numbers really are a tool to tell stories. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they're, they're, they are also easily manipulated to tell whatever story you want. <laughs> um, but as a pure mathematician, we were always taught that you figure out the answer first and then you explain it as opposed to trying to figure out how to manipulate the numbers to fit the answer you want so um right i'm not sure that's the well, question you asked but no yeah, no it absolutely well, is i mean it's it's interesting when i think about and you know maybe our listeners could use a little bit of an explanation about what a theater producer really does but a lot of people assume that the theater producer, and you've certainly worked on Broadway, off-Broadway, regionally, in the West End in London. So many people think that a producer is really the money person, right? Mm-hmm. The numbers person. But I'm fascinated with how you're, you know, you're, you're living in both worlds of numbers and story helps you to be as successful a producer as you have been. Um, because for my money, the producer really is the story person for so many different stakeholders in getting any performance piece to commercial opportunity and hopefully success. Does that ring true for you? The producer is the story person? Well, I think, I, I think there is a, there's definitely a lot, a lack of information about what a producer does. <laughs> and, 
a, a, someone wrote a blog and had like a hundred things, a hundred statements from producers of what they think their job is. And, you know, many of them included the, the idea of the producer raises money um, because obviously without money, a production can't happen. Um, but someone has an idea for a show. Now that idea might be a writer, but then the producer is the one that says, oh, I like that idea, let's move it forward. Or the producer may say, oh, I love this book, or I have this thought, and goes ahead and builds a creative team to create the story. So you have the story, and then who puts together the team? Who finds the theater? Um, who moves it along? Who decides what the path is? Do we, do we go to London? Do we go to Boston? Do we do a table read? You know, sit around the table with a bunch of friends and just read it out loud. How do we move this story along? Um, someone, one of my favorites of this hundred best was describing the producer as the border collie. Ah. I, I particularly relate to that because I had a border collie for many years and my dog currently is half border collie, oh. but the border collie, you know, is, is, is the herder and the producer is like, like that, that you, you bring t together all of these people that, you know, eventually wind up to be quite a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And if you have a, a musical, even more, even more people, because you add the elements of, of music and choreography and, and such. But there are a lot of people that are needed in order to put together a production and a lot of different steps. So all of those things happen at the, at the, at the behest of the producer, essentially the, the CEO, you know, the producer is, is like the CEO or president of the company. And as you go along, you hire your team. So you may hire a general manager. That's like your chief operating officer and you hire your marketing advertising firm and, and your, your press firm and, and your creative team. And, and, and you are the head of that team and you, you know, hopefully you have, partners and you know people other people who help you raise the money those are your co-producers or your or your partners um, and then that producing team becomes like your board of directors and they advise mm -hmm. uh, how the how the situation moves forward and help support everything but um, but the producer basically is responsible for everything except the actual performance um, I, I, I haven't heard yet too many times of producers actually going on stage. Mm -hmm. Recently, recently, a couple of directors have to had to go on stage because there were people out sick, and so they filled in. But um, hopefully, in my situation, that never happens. Um, <laughs> um, I had my all... one big yeah. I had my one no, big God. chance when I was twelve um, <laughs> in, in camp, and I was in the mission band of Guys and Dolls, a first oh. tambourine, right? So got to sing "Follow the Fold." And I did that too. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a, it was a charity um, casino night that Miss Saigon held, and, and at the end, um, not Tyne Daly, Sharon Glass was our guest star, and she burst in with the Salvation Army band, us, and we sang "Follow the Fold" and got all the um, all the people to give us the money. That was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, Susan, you were going to say something. <laughs> no, no, I I was going to relay an anecdote that. Guys and Dolls was the first musical we ever took our daughter to oh. at four years old. 
and imagine our daughter doing a rendition of Take Back Your Mink, Take Back Your Poils. <laughs> what made you think that I was one of those goils? I mean, that sort of shocked a few family members, but we won't go there. Um, on from there. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I, I think what's fascinating to me about what you described, Jane, was that for each one of those stakeholders, whether it's your co-producers or the advertising team that needs to craft the message to get ticket holders in the seats for each one of those constituencies the creative team you have to render the story of the piece in an inspiring way and it's going to be different for each one of those stakeholders so for me i i see successful producers as being the story people who can convey can continue to convey the excitement because along the way it can get tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, the other the, the other constituency that we were sort of alluded to but didn't spe- specifically refer to was the investors and then ultimately the audience, but but before the show is actually realized the producers and co-producers and anyone who's in the, the, the playing the part of raising the, the money for the show has to be able to relay a, a passion for the story to get the people involved and explain to them why, you know, why among the thousands of stories being told out there should they take their money and support this, this effort. Um, and then ultimately once the show is ready you know, ready to go live, we have to create a story of the story so that the audience mm. says, oh, again, even even if you're talking about Broadway and there's, you know, there may be 25 to 40 plays going at the same time and, you know, a larger number than that off-Broadway, but why, why do you want to get off your couch or your easy chair with the legs up um, with your cup holder nearby when you when you have 17 different streaming services offering mm-hmm. you know umpteen numbers of of movies and series and binge opportunities how do we get those people to get off you know to get off the the put the butts in the seat from the couch into into the theater and that's a whole nother story um particularly after the last few years when when we've all gotten very comfortable yeah um you know on our Parker loungers and, <laughs> and couches with the big pillows and everything. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of storytelling going on, and you know the I think the 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 good the good producers like like the good CEOs um, of companies listen to all of the people that are crafting their various stories and helps everybody come to consensus about what the story is. I mean, those stories take in in the world of theatre. It notoriously take often decades, particularly a musical, <laughs> will take decades to develop. And you've been involved in development of huge commercial success. You know, an American in Paris, which had a long Broadway run, and then you've got um, more inventive works that sort of come out of nowhere, like Peter and the Star Catcher. New works that have incubated non profits, like uh, companies like house of the moon um i mean what are you what are you looking for what do you think has that sort of 
longevity or the, the the story that can engage people i guess it's about you know what is it that first moves you that has that makes a story worthy of the effort the blood sweat and years <laughs> well I, I, um you know simon i that's another question like how do you breathe um, <laughs> i'm glad i'm asking those difficult questions <laughs> yeah well they're they're not really difficult questions but they're they're questions that don't have a a definitive answer um you know it's one of those things you know it when you see it or Mm. when you hear it or feel it um and it's different in each case and i i would say for me you know and it's different for each person right and that's what that's what the arts are the, the different you know whether it's theater or movies or paintings or poetry everybody reacts differently to different to different works um so for me, I, I like to be engaged when, when I'm putting my effort in as a producer, um, I like to be engaged in works that, that somehow are novel. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean, I mean, American in Paris certainly wasn't new. Uh, it was a movie, but in 1951, but the, the, the adaptation of that movie sort of reset the story a bit, but also told the story in a way that was not being done um, or hadn't been done in a long time. It, it was a beautiful storytelling using integrated movement, song and, and, and storytelling. You know, so many of our shows don't have dance mm-hmm. anymore. You know, we have a few now that, that are going back to that. Um, and, and dance in its pure form is, is, is a beautiful well t- way of telling story. Um, and, and American in Paris seamlessly went from that the old version of you say it when you can't say it you sing it and when you can't sing it you dance it you know that that really was a beautiful way of doing that so that's what attracted me to an American in Paris Peter and the Starcatcher completely different um, reaction I was one as a friend suggested I go see the show when it was off Broadway at New York Theatre Workshop and described it as a prequel to Peter Pan. It's like, seriously? <laughs> okay. Um, and I went to see it and I I was transported almost to, to childhood, which is not surprising given the story, but to that part of, of the child that allows things to happen without necessarily needing an explanation. Um, Peter and the Starcatcher was a pure play on the ability of the audience to have imagination. And again, that was something that I really hadn't experienced in a long time. And, and that's a play that, you know, had a, a for a play, very long run on Broadway, mm. then went off Broadway, then traveled around the country on a national tour, and then became one of the most produced plays regionally and my local high school did a performance of it i mean it's just it's it's everywhere um and i think it's because the audience like we oftentimes we don't give the audience enough credit and i think peter and the star catcher said to really enjoy the show the audience has to buy into it and and they did and um you know so each each play has a different genesis or origin and a different reason for me to be attracted to it houses on the moon is a whole nother story houses on the moon is a nonprofit theater company 
Um, I am currently, and you're the chairman of the board there. I am chair of the yes. board, yes. And I first uh, came upon them by accident in May of 2010, I think. And there was a show that was playing at three o'clock on a Sunday. It was sort of like college. I was I needed something on a Sunday afternoon near Grand Central Station where, where I come into the city because I had something later that night and I was sort of, I just needed to have a bigger day in the city than just going in for, for this one thing. So I found this show that was playing uh, called De Novo about a boy who was trying to get asylum in the US. And to make a long story, or to make a 70 minute story short, basically it was a gray story. It was not black and white. He was not a perfect kid. He wasn't a criminal. He was trying to rejoin his mother. He got into some trouble. He was denied asylum and sent home where he feared for his life for good reason because he was ultimately killed. And I was stunned by the story. It was it was so beautifully told. It was it was it was sort of docudrama. It was all true. It was a true story. The the artists had sat in immigration court to find it. And the conversation they had a talk back. It was the last night of the the run, they had a talk back afterwards, nobody left. And it, it was fascinating because what it did was, was start a conversation. It, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't black and white. It was somewhere in the middle. So it, the people who were on one side of potentially one side of the argument were moved a little bit more towards the folks on the other side of the argument who, because so many of the issues that Houses on the Moon deals with can be portrayed like advocacy or, ah, oh, this is terrible, or no, this is great. But they, they, they create this gray scenario so that you have to talk about it. And to me, that, that is successful theater. Yeah. Um, so I've been, you know, every time I think about, oh, what's something else I should do? That is the one thing that I don't give up because um, not only do they operate in this, you know, it's 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 an area where a lot of people, I mean, let's face it, a lot of people go to theater because they just want to laugh or they want to mm. see pretty things. When you want to go to theater to really be provoked, they operate in that area and they do it really well. Not only do they have great topics, but they have great artistry. So I'm very, very humble to be their lead, you know, the leader of the board here, but I'm also really proud of all the work that they do. So Amazing. that's a different, that's a different, you know, aspect of it. But each, you know, like I said, each, each show that I'm attracted to, um, I'm attracted for different reasons. Yeah. And part of it is like, I know if I, if I sign on to a show, like I can go see a show and have different, you know, like, oh, sure, whatever, I, you know, <laughs> I'll go see that show. But if I'm going to put, you know, if I'm going to associate my, you know, this is my name on the show and then go out whether I'm producer or co-producer or whatever role, um, I have to then tell that story that we were just talking yeah. about. I have to go convince people to support it financially, to support it by buying tickets or going to see it or spreading the word. And that's something that you do for years, <laughs> right? If, if you're lucky, you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, I'm, I'm not a masochist. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, that's why I'm no longer in financial services. Um, But, you know, I have to really believe in the story. um, Because, look, if the person if if you're trying to convince me to get to be part of your project, and you're like, yeah, it's good. You know, I kind of like it. It's like, if you're not passionate (laughs) about it, why should I be? You know, like, you have to really you have to be so on board. You have to be so into it. Otherwise you're, you know, the used car salesman and we know people don't trust used car salesmen. So, right. You know, I'm I'm fascinated by the through line of the notion of, you know, passion for a story and creating a gray area where people can have a conversation and particularly a conversation around something that we may think we know we know the story and i i'm 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 particularly thinking about your support of um the one woman show Anne, which was about ann richards the legendary governor of texas and you know at those of us who lived in that era might have thought that we knew or understood her story but that show brought to life a, 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 a prism maybe for, for understanding her motivations and, and you know, a, a completely different piece of theater was Farinelli and the King. And again, you know, if we're students of history, maybe we think we know mm-hmm. that little bit of history, but both of those to me rendered that that air that gray area of leaning in and saying well wait a minute what do i think about this you know and that that feels um again you're you're, if i'm going to pigeonhole jane dubin in any thing it's there has to be a good story here oh oh absolutely susan absolutely i mean I I can't imagine being part of a of a show or a book or a TV project or anything that's not a good story. Um, and I think I think the audience expects there to be a good story. And you know we see that time and time again. We see shows with you know big stars that have big advanced sales that just drop off the face of the earth because yeah, we love the star, but the story's not that good. And people leave the theater and say, eh. And so their friends don't go to the theater. And then we see shows that come out of nowhere um, that don't have anybody, that don't have you know anybody that we know that would drive us to come to a show that don't have any existing intellectual property that says, Oh, I know that story. And suddenly they're, you know, they're, they're big hits. So I, I think ult- story may not be what initially brings someone to, to the theater, but story is what keeps them there. And, you know, I think, I think some of that we've, we've gotten obsessed with, IP with intellectual property. And so, so many of our Broadway shows are adaptations of, mm. or revivals of, um, and it's the rare, you know, 
brand new original story that can succeed. And I've had, I've had experiences with that because I like, I like original stories and, you know, the, even if there are, you know, American Paris was an adaptation, but the, 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 the story that was told on stage was, was, was a different story than the movie. It was based on the same characters, but it was, you know, moved forward um, and, and able to tell a little bit different story and provide some different perspective. But, you know, nine, nine out of 10 times, my, my, the shows that I get most excited about are brand new. And that's the really hard, hardest type of story to market because you don't have that one thing that's like, oh, it's, you know, yeah. it's got Hugh Jackman in the story or it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an familiar. adaptation of this, this, yeah the, yeah, the familiarity. And, you know, more as things get more and more and more and more and more expensive for the consumer, they want more and more of guarantee that they're going to like what they're, what yeah. they're buying. And oftentimes that means either, oh, I, I love this guy from that TV show that I watch all the time, or, oh, I've, you know, I've seen this show 17 times. I love it so much. So now I'm going to bring my kids to see it, or I want to see it again, or, or, or whatever that thing is that they already know. So bringing that original story is, is very difficult. Um, well, that is an interesting segue into <laughs> your, the, your, I, I don't want to say it's your most current, work that you are incubating but a new work that you are incubating that quite frankly I'm super excited to hear more about and that is The Village of Vale. Tell us about The Village of Vale. Well The Village of Vale is my most current um, it's so current that Monday we are starting recording um that's how current it is. Tomorrow we're starting, so we're, we're doing some rehearsals. Um, so it's really, really current. Um, and it is a project that I am leading. So I, I uh, pardon me on the time, I don't know the exact time because I've lost sense of time, but <laughs> about five years ago, a friend of mine said, listen, you've got to go to see this show at, at the Lincoln Center. Uh, it was a development run, not the main Lincoln Center, but it was at a development run. And I was like, okay, now not to bore you with some of the, the preface to the actual show, but I think it's important to understand the impact. We're not bored. We're not bored. (laughs) Tell away. But so, um, I take the, the Metro North into the city. And for those who know New York city at all, they know getting to Lincoln Center from Westchester is if you're taking public transportation is about the worst place that you can get to because you have to take the train to the subway and the subway line is not the best and then you walk a little bit and it was it was sort of a disgusting rainy day I was the the train got stuck I was late I was wet and then I was running and so I I was, you know, you get that thing when you sit down and then you start, you're sweaty and just feeling really awful. And it was a student matinee of the show, which is lovely. And I love, I support that, but sometimes student audiences are not the best. And (laughs) so the show finally starts and there's a group of girls sitting behind me 
And somehow I channeled my mother, may she rest in peace. And I turned around and I said, knock it off. Cause they were just like, <laughs> and you know, so, so that, that was the, 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 the prelude to the first note of the show. And then I just got lost. The music just overwhelmed me. And I honestly wasn't totally sure of what the story was going to be, but I knew that there was a story there. And I absolutely knew that the music was overwhelming me. And so, um, you know, my friend said, what do you, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I'd like to meet the team. And we met at some place that doesn't exist anymore and sat down with the three creators of the show and just, you know, I just told them what I thought and they were like, Oh my God, this is so great. You know, we've been, they've been, they've been writing this piece for so long that they were so interested in outside, you know, a, a new voice, giving them feedback. And I was so excited that as creators, they were so excited about yeah. hearing different different input. And can you, can so, you give us the elevator pitch of? You know? I will. I, I will okay. get there. Okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we decided to. You know, I decided. Let me just. I'll. I'll just see where this goes. And we went on a on a, a residency to this place up in Westchester called Bethany Arts Community, which you should all look up. It's fantastic for for residencies and and all disciplines of of art of the arts. And there we talked more and more and more and realized that we really needed to create the story of the story. And so this is where we are today. The, the Village of Vale is an original musical fantasy um, that is about a young woman who loses everything, um, finds it again, and then has it taken away. And so it is her journey for revenge. Um, but along the way, she learns the healing power of forgiveness. And she learns that oftentimes what you're looking for is right in front of you. Nice. That's and my elevator pitch. It's, it's a good elevator pitch. We're interested. I want to see it. Yes. yes. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly different angle, though, isn't it? Because of you know, the, the way you're approaching the development of the piece the route the, com the yes. route to commercial development is different and i think that's yes. it, there are lots of traditional routes and they've had to change because of covid and yep. i i think that's, that's a great can you tell us a little bit about that development sure. process and how it's different yeah um and actually it piggybacks a little about what we were just talking about with intellectual property that people want to see things they're familiar with mm. and we have uh an original story. Our authors are, you know, established in their own worlds, but not in the commercial world. Um, so when we started five years ago, we did some of those traditional things. You know, we went on residency to figure things out. We had an opportunity at Kansas City Repertory Theater to be part of their New Works program, um, where we brought on our amazing director, Lisa Rothi, and, you know, did a presentation in Kansas City to people who didn't know any of us. And that was amazing to get that feedback. And immediately after that, that was December of 2019. And then immediately after that, 
the creative team was was part of the Goodspeed uh, residency, very prestigious development of new musicals. That was February of 2020. The end of February of 2020. <laughs> you know, we just slipped that in, and then you know, crickets. So, you know, we we had a situation where we weren't we weren't one of those shows that had had a an engagement that was postponed or canceled to be determined later we weren't on the radar yet and you know just thinking about like when when are we ever going to get an opportunity here right because there's such a backlog and houses on the moon we had been talking there and and i had made a suggestion that we do a podcast of our like sort of archive some of the work that we've done and and they ran with that and then i was like well why can't we do that same thing with the village of vale and so i went to the to the guys and said what do you think and they were like yes you know you've never met more passionate people than anything mm-hmm. um and we started to think about what that would look like. And again, the music is so, you know, people do albums, they do cast albums or or concept albums all the time. Um, We could have just done that, but we wanted to tell the whole story. You know, albums are great, but you don't know what happens between songs and, and songs for musicals sometimes out of context, don't make as much sense as in context. So, so, we we had one more opportunity for development. We we were part of New York Theater Barn's New Works program. It was virtual, so we recorded two of the songs as music videos and and presented those, and then you know talked about the show on on air, so to speak. It's on YouTube. You can you can see it there. Um, but we needed to develop. Like we still had development work to do, so we started adapting the stage play for audio only because as <laughs> here we are in a podcast which is audio only um you know that that when you're telling a story without props you may tell it differently mm-hmm. than if you have props and even who you're you know so if if we were in public uh in front of an audience you wouldn't have to say jane what do you think of that mm. but when you're not visual, you have to be specific about where you are, who you are. Um, you know, Simon, we know your voice is going to be different than my voice, yeah. clearly, but you have to be really specific. So some of it was just realizing, oh, we have, we have the forest and we have the woods. Why don't we just, we have to call it one thing, you know, like being specific about the who, what, where, when, how, but also being more specific about the story because you can't visualize certain things. So that process took a little longer than, than we thought, but was a ton of fun. And in, in the, in the process of doing this new process, we wound up creating a seven, we think will be roughly a half hour each seven episodes. So a much longer version of this, of the show. Um, And you know, new music and new orchestrations, and we're we're going into the studio on Monday to to record it. Um, the first we're we're recording the first two episodes, 
um, to, to just make sure we understand how everything works. Um, and I think this is my, this is our, our premise here that by, by creating what's essentially a three-dimensional wor world where the third dimension is sound, um, that we can better tell the story of what our story is than just giving someone a script and demos. Um, we can do it more efficiently, you know, from a cost basis. Um, and it allows on-demand listening mm. uh, anytime, anywhere, by anyone. And when you're developing uh, a commercial, you know, a commercial or not, or, or non any kind of show, um, very often the process is like in Kansas City, we do, you do a presentation, the presentation is, you know, a Monday afternoon, a Tuesday morning, Tuesday, whatever, but it's, it's, it's limited in time and you have to be there in person. It's done on music stands with music stands, maybe a piano, maybe, you know, a drum or, 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 or something like, you know, some other musical accompaniment. Um, and people sit in uncomfortable chairs and they <laughs> watch this show. If they're not there, they don't want to get involved because they didn't see it. Um, so then you go to the next step, which may be a, a workshop, which now we're talking, you know, major six figures yeah. to, to do presentations. And you're there, you have some sets and, you know, some cardboard sets and some, maybe some one costume per person. And, um, and again, they present, maybe there's some choreography, the people now are off book, you know, they're without scripts, but again, you have to be there and people won't, if they're not there, they won't get involved. I, myself, when I saw the workshop of the prom, which was another brand new musical that I got involved with, I was so moved by part of that show that I knew I had, I, I, like I, I knew about it, I heard about it, I was interested in it, but I wasn't convinced until I saw it. And that's what right. often happens. So the problem is you spend so much money that if you, if the person or people that you want to be interested can't be there that particular moment, you've, you've lost that opportunity and you have nothing to show for it. Yeah. So then the next step you go to, you know, a major regional house and you spend millions of dollars. And again, but it's, it's often not in New York. Maybe it's in Boston or Atlanta or California or Seattle, you know, someplace like that. Maybe people don't want to travel there or they can't at that moment and it's maybe three or four weeks and again you've missed the opportunity so now before you even get to broadway if that's your goal you've spent millions of dollars mm. and you don't have a lot to show for it so and you and you don't have an audience saying necessarily oh i want to see that because i know it whereas right right you may get reviewed like you may get reviewed out in california and hopefully they're great reviews and you can build, but I mean, certainly shows have built buzz and have come into Broadway, like, Oh my God, we have to see the show, mm. but you know, they're few and far between and they usually have some hook to it. So we're going to spend a lot less money, but we're going to come out with this beautiful product. Yeah. Um, and with, with, I don't want to say endless opportunities, but, we haven't predestined where we're going next. 
Um, we have interest in animation. We have interest in concerts. Um, you know, it's in the f fantasy realm, which is, and there are so many different, it, the trees are a big element of this story. So we sometimes said there's so many branches we can go off on. It's mm -hmm. a little bit internal pun, um, you know, that, that it, it lends itself to series and, you know, spinoffs and prequels and sequels and that kind of thing. But first things first, we have to produce the pilot so that we, we, we put our mouth where our money is, so to speak. Um, um, <laughs> So that, you know, we see what it sounds like. I just know that having heard, you know, the, we've orchestrated the, I thought the music was gorgeous when I heard it the first time. I thought the demos that we have had produced were beautiful, but fully orchestrated, you know, it's, it's sound, you know, there's some cinematic elements to it. So, um, you know, it opens up all kinds of opportunities. And again, we can then say, Simon, are you interested Listen, I'll send you the script so maybe you can play along if you want to. But here, listen to this. Click here, right? That's so and smart. and um, you know, it's that's the theory. Um, I think it's really smart. I mean, it reminds me of we talked about cast albums. Remember, I mean, those concept albums that had story embedded. I'm thinking generally in the 70s and 80s, you'd get these big double albums. With Tommy, the, yeah, Tommy, Tommy the exactly. Who, they they Jesus, had Jesus Christ, Jesus superstar. Christ superstar. They had yeah. story embedded into them, and so you felt invested. And by the time two or three years later they became a show, you felt like you knew these characters and you knew the world you were going into. And I think that makes a exactly. massive difference. Oh, it's yeah. very smart, very smart. Yeah. Well, I'm struck by what you said earlier about Peter and the Starcatcher, when you said that you the audience had the, had. I'm going to misquote you, Jane. I'm sorry. But basically, you were saying the show gave the audience the opportunity to have imagination, mm. if, if I'm paraphrasing correctly. Yeah. And ironically, by this being, by its manifestation as you are creating it now, being strictly audio in a strange kind of way, it feels to me to be immersive in a way that fantasy needs to be because yeah. the audience will be bringing their own imagination and when trees manifest in this audio version almost as a, a character each audience member will bring their own imagination their own fantastical sure. interpretation and for me that's incredibly exciting mm. Um, when you and I first talked about this, our, our audience cannot see you, but one of the things that struck me was as you described the Village of Vale to me, you were smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> that it, with your, The joy with which you approached this project was so powerfully manifest on your face um, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And I, I'm also excited about the fact that, you know, most investment in commercial theater, um, requires the investors to have a lot of money, you know, real theater investors have to demonstrate 
a lot of money at their disposal <laughs> to qualify. Right. Whereas right. it's my understanding that the Village of Vale actually is under a fiscal sponsorship. So mere yeah, mortals. We have, yeah, we we um I think what you're referring to is when you invest in a in the private offering, which which is how uh, Broadway shows are financed. You have to be accredited, so it means you have to have a certain amount of wealth and or income uh, to qualify. Um, we have that. We have investors who are supporting the project and open to, you know, discussing that. But we also, through New York Theatre Barn, uh, which is a, a nonprofit in New York musical musicals incubator, um, we have a fiscal sponsorship. So people can donate you know, as little as a dollar or as much as $10,000 or a million dollars, um, however much they want. We don't need a million dollars. Um, but you know, they can donate and support the project and, you know, every, every dollar helps, um, you know, because, um, because every dollar helps in, yeah. in these situations. And, you know, there, there are, there are all kinds of expenses that we don't have. For example, we don't have a set and we don't have lighting and uh, we don't have four weeks of rehearsal time and we don't have understudies and all of those things that, that live shows have. Um, we do have a lot of post-production. In, in some cases, it's a little bit of a hybrid between theater and film because a lot of the work, you know, we have a week of, of recording our actors for this first hour. Um, that's, what, that what, that's what we're recording next week. But then we do, you know, we're not done. We're just starting. So then there's the editing and the mixing and the mastering and making sure everything sounds the same uh, throughout. Um, so everything, you know, every little bit helps. Well, we will put the um, details for this yes. fiscal sponsorship in our show notes. And oh, audience, audience um, we encourage you to... You know, take a look. There's a lot online that can give you some background. It's it's a it's a very powerful story. Um, and as as Jane has suggested to us, the music is quite beautiful. Um, thank you. I mean, we could talk with you for a long time, but um, we want to be respectful of your time because you've got things to do. <laughs> right, and, and we also know that. You know, podcasts are, you, you can't have a four-hour podcast. No one, no <laughs> one will listen. Apparently yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. but, but before we say goodbye, what we do want to ask you is what we, what we always ask our guests, and that is, um, do you have a favorite story? Hmm. And it can be anything. I mean, an anecdote, a, a, um, a joke, something <laughs> that your dad made you listen to. <laughs> I mean... Um, to bring um, it back full circle, an experience in the theater. Do you have does does Jane Dubin have a favorite story? Um, I I I will give you two answers to that. I will save my favorite story for last, but I will tell you one of my favorite experiences in the theater. Um, it was one of the first previews of Peter and the Starcatcher. And I was standing outside, I, a group of my friends had come to the show and we were standing outside and there was a young girl, maybe she was 12, and she was standing maybe 10 feet from me and she was 
she was looking over and my friends are like, that girl's looking. And I, I turn around and, and I was like, oh, hi. And she, I walked over and said hi to her. And she's like, are, are you part of the show? And I was like, I'm one of the producers. And she, she asked me if I would sign her playbill. <laughs> and um, she, she was from, I want to say Tennessee. And her dad came over and he said, this was her first play she had seen a musical the night before, and this was the first play she'd ever seen on Broadway. And I, it was just so cute. And I gave her my card and I thought that was the end of it. And then a little bit while later, her dad contacted me and said, it, it was her birthday coming up and she loved this show so much. There, there was a character, the black stash, and there was a mustache, was a big marketing tool. And he would send me pictures of her with, with her friends, they were all wearing stashes and they were doing stash parties and everything. And he said, they were there so early that they didn't have the, the, the show poster. And could he get, get one? He's like, it, it did whatever it costs, he didn't care. And there were, there were very few signed posters and we've got one each. And the, the company manager was so lovely and gave me an extra one that was lying around and I sent it to him and he wrote back and he was like, but you didn't tell me how much it was. And it's like, <laughs> good. And he afterwards wrote back and he gave, sent me a picture of her with the poster. He had made a, the poster with her ticket and the playbill in a frame. And, you know, I, I would get things from them for, for years. And that show has been, it's over 10 years ago now. Um, but that was like, that just thrilled me. To have that kind of, you know, that some young girl from, you know, first time in New York, first Broadway show, uh, first Broadway play had had that experience. My favorite story, I would have to say, is The Little Prince. Oh. <laughs> it is so, and, and I think, you know, I, it, it made me, when I was thinking about that show or that book, not the show, but the book. I, I think subconsciously it has driven some of my, my choices. It is so simple mm -hmm. and so powerful in its simplicity. And I think we sometimes complicate our stories or we, we bell and put bells and whistles and have like million dollar or several million dollar sets and all this fancy shiny objects but when you strip it down it's the story yeah. right and no amount of bells and whistles can hide bad stories and and i think that's the lesson kind of the lesson of little prince and little prince tamed me so um that's the power of that story amazing oh my gosh jane thank you so much for reminding <laughs> us yeah of that um and, and thank, thank you, you for, for joining us. Yeah. Yes. Hey, it's a, a blast. Thank you, Susan, for inviting me. Thanks, Simon. It's great to meet you. And yeah. um, uh, I think, as I'm sure you have found when you when you talk to people in the arts, particularly, but I know it's across all disciplines, when they love what they do and they display the passion, like you can talk forever because yeah. it's kind of in your in your blood. And you know, as a, I I fortunately or unfortunately don't have the the talent to 
write the stories, but I do have some sort of talent to recognize them. And so the, all of the stuff that I've done before, the, the, the math, the, the financial services industry have led me here and allow me to support the people who tell good stories. So that's been, that's now my passion in life as well. Brilliant. Fantastic. And yeah. best, you know, best wishes for next week. Yeah. Hope you and well. for the trajectory of the show and, and we will be following. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank yeah, you. Well, I guess by the time this, uh, this happens, it, it will have been last week. That's true. Um, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Um, um, and hopefully, as it goes with stories, they're timeless. That's right. That's right. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jane. We appreciate it. And we appreciate you. Well, I was inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, wow. Um, yeah. So what can, wow. our, what can our listeners take away? What are we, what are we thinking? Well, you know, she talked about listening mm-hmm. being foundational to story. And we have heard that in so many other yeah. sessions. And, and literally, she talked about the word listen being on her whiteboard. And I had been on a call with her initially to discuss being a guest and there it was listen <laughs> which you know yeah um but you know it's listening towards what end and i guess when she talked about not only her role when she was in marketing for a financial services company um on down to her her role now as a full-time producer it's the idea of what is the story we're going to tell you that's going to get you to trust us yeah now in financial services it was you know trust us that we can help you with your financial well-being it may be a little bit less consequential but not really when you're talking about raising millions and millions of dollars to get a show on its feet commercially it's what are we going to tell you about the story of this Mm -hmm. show to get you to trust us that this is a good investment and all the way down to what are we going to tell you about this show that will get you to trust us enough to get off the couch and actually buy a ticket to come see it for our listeners Literally, when you are thinking about your brand story, it's got to be about what can we tell you about what we do for customers like you that will engender that trust that you will, in fact, choose us as your whatever the service is that you're providing. So that was that was interesting for me. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be the story has to be clear, but it can't be clear cut. It can't be black and white. She talked about right. the fact that stories, the best stories, sit in the grey areas. And I, I think I recognise that, particularly in some of the work we do with, with clients who, you know, want to simplify their story and make it very black and white and binary, when really that's not where audiences are and it's not what's interesting. It's not what makes an, a, a story interesting. So whilst a story needs to be clear, you want a level of grey in the storytelling 
to let the audience do a bit of the work, I guess, and to, to find their way in. Right, right. Not imposing a POV mm. on an audience, but rather engendering enough interest and, and maybe grayness to provoke a conversation in which, you know, for our listeners, hopefully the prospect says, huh, tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah. 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 But our, our favorite word <laughs> came back, you know, in the context of... The word I've learned to say. <laughs> Specificity. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, and we, you know, there were no prompts involved here. <laughs> I mean, this was Jane's serendipitous, spontaneous bringing up that word around the need to be specific. That, mm. Yeah, like the, the POV, the 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 moral of the story may may have some grayness to it, but it's it's very specific in terms of what it's getting what it means the audience yeah. yeah what it means yeah yeah oh that specificity jar we're gonna put <laughs> we, we're gonna put quarters in the specificity jar anytime our guests bring it up yeah um so you know when when jane talked about her newest project the village of veil vale, which is this show that was originally conceived of in very classic theater terms, you know, a presentation to a live audience that's now morphed into this audio. Right. Yeah. Um, she talked about telling stories without props, you know, that mm. you know, audio might be seen as a constraint. Yeah. But it's a good constraint for, for, Forcing creativity, forcing yeah, yeah. the ability to um, to literally tell the story without leaning on a PowerPoint slide. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, too often when when our clients come to us, um, they're struggling to tell their story. They're struggling to articulated differentiated narrative what makes what makes them different what makes what they do an appropriate solution for a business problem and you know I'll say I don't get it and and then oftentimes clients will say well well can I show you the demo mm. <laughs> right and the and the thing is that if you can't tell your story without those visual prompts the the demos and the powerpoints and the if you can't somehow land the story you haven't you probably haven't really figured it out yeah. well enough for yourself much less for your audiences yeah absolutely um, I, I guess that connects to something she said around storytelling is like breathing and i i think you know, it's almost as if that's in, it's in con unconscious, which I get. I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot. The the the, the brain is a storyteller; it's so natural to who we are. But that doesn't mean it, it doesn't doesn't take work. Um, but I think that work becomes easier if the story you're telling is one that you believe in wholeheartedly. <gasps> yes. That you have, you know, that you've listened effectively to your audience, so you you know how to tap into what they want. That you're 
building intuition about what to share with them and that behind that there is you know a word that does tend to get overused but I think it is effective passion for your story if you don't believe it why why should we which I guess comes back to your <clears throat> earlier point really right I mean the gestation of a startup if the startup has anything valuable really valuable to offer and the gestation of a theatrical piece mm. it takes years yeah it I mean it, Audiences for theater may not recognize, but it takes years, sometimes decades. Yeah. And your passion for the idea, for why you're doing it, has got to have some staying power. Mm-hmm. Um, True. Because ultimately, if you're ambivalent, you're gonna you're gonna lose. You're gonna use the lose the fuel that will get you to a point of of realizing success and with tech startups with any kind of service company you you've got to have staying power and that means you've got to really believe in what you're doing you've got to believe in the story you're telling yeah even if even if things morph along the way yeah i mean you know a good story is a flexible story <laughs> yeah right <laughs> well I thought it was a great conversation. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I, I can't wait for you to hear what's coming next and who we've got um, coming up in the next few weeks, for the remainder of this season. Um, as always, if you want to learn more about us and how we might be able to help you, please visit Iambic Creative at iambic.agency or Griffin and Skeggs in the show notes. Your your website is griffinandskeggs.com dot com marvellous um, yes yes <laughs> um, so we will see you on the next episode of Story Conversations yes and and in the meantime please share with your friends if you found anything interesting we had to say with our guest today and we thank you for listening bye bye